Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. You know, we're starting a new series tonight. And the series is called Gospel Fluency. Now, I've got to share with you, I've got this title from a book that I read this past year. A great book, and I tucked it away, and I was thinking, I'm like, okay, when do I want to speak on this topic? And after we went through Alpha, I thought, this is a perfect opportunity, because Alpha gave us such foundational um, gospel truths that we we're able to build off of. And I thought, now to be talking about gospel fluency and figuring out how we can actually apply these gospel truths to our everyday living, it just seemed to flow um, just so well. So in his book, Gospel Fluency, author and pastor Jeff Vanderstelt, he compares the gospel of the Christian faith to learning another language, uh, to actually kind of entering into to, um, the culture of it and engaging with these gospel truths. So he writes this in his book, I found that most Christians don't really know why we need the gospel, what it is, why it is good news, and what it actually does, at least not enough to apply it to the everyday stuff of life. So with that being said, I want to start off with a pretty bold statement. And you might disagree, or you might be like, yeah, that's actually me. But everyone is an unbeliever. I'm an unbeliever, and if I can say it, you're an unbeliever. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, wait, what? I'm a believer. Let, let me explain. I grew up believing that people fall into two categories. You have your believers and you have your unbelievers. Or as my Bible college professor would say, you have your pre-believers because they don't believe yet. However, as I've continued to grow in my faith, as I've journeyed along in ministry and I've continued to, to pastor people, I've discovered that every one of us is actually an unbeliever, at least in some areas of our lives. So don't misunderstand me. There are some who are children of God and others who are not yet. John 1, 12 to 13. Then there are those who have been given new life in Jesus. We're, we're new creations. We've been given fresh starts in and through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And then there are others who are still dead in sin, just slaves to sin, and not yet truly alive in Jesus. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. But when I say that we're all unbelievers, I mean that we have these places in our lives where we don't fully believe God. There's these spaces that we just, we don't trust his word or we don't believe that what he actually accomplished is enough to deal with our past or perhaps what we're currently facing in the moment. So in other words, there's times, moments, seasons, circumstances, or just certain areas of our lives where we simply don't believe. We're unbelievers. In a recent book that came out uh, titled Everybody Lies, the author looks at the disconnect between what we say and what we do. Primarily, he looks at it in terms of how people present themselves and then what people are searching for and looking for on the internet. And I think with that struggle and that tension between how we present ourselves and who we truly are, I think it just naturally comes into the church because we're all human. So we, we come together and we say one thing, and, and I truly believe we desire it and have the best intentions. But when we walk out the doors, 
we then do something completely different. And then that's when people call us out and say, hypocrite. I've admitted to you before that I, I struggle with healing and why some people get healed and other people don't get healed. And I've, I've experienced it myself. I shared a few weeks ago about that. But I still wonder if it's going to come back, if my symptoms of esophagitis are going to come back. And if I get heartburn, I'm like, oh, is this it? I'm an unbeliever, and I struggle with it every day. There's just certain areas of life that I doubt. And I'm certain that if you're honest with yourself and honest with me, you struggle as well. I believe we all struggle with unbelief in God because there's just aspects of the Christian faith and faith in Jesus that sound unbelievable. We all slip in, in and out of this confidence in what Jesus has done and what he's completed and whether or not that's truly sufficient. Last week, we celebrated Easter and the resurrection of Christ and that we can live in this resurrection power, this resurrection life that he offers each of us. But again, if we're honest with ourselves, did we live that way in all aspects of our lives this past week? It's also very possible that even though you're familiar with Jesus, you have yet to believe in him for yourself or for your life. Or perhaps you have come to faith in Jesus, but it hasn't really changed what you do on a daily basis just yet and how you engage in the everyday stuff of life. So I love what Paul writes to the believers in Galatia. He writes, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping the rules and working my head off to please God and it didn't work. This is the message translation. So I quit being a law man so I could be a God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I've been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going back on that. I just love the, the dynamic that the message translation brings. Because what was happening is that the church in Galatia, they started with their faith in Jesus, but over time, they began putting their faith in something else to make them right instead of Jesus. So Paul is calling them out on it. He's saying, guys, come back. He's reminding them of the good news of Jesus, the gospel. And that good news is for everything. It's for all of life. So I'm actually going to let our friends from the band Run Collective share a little more about what the good news story is. What do you think when you hear the word gospel? Do you imagine a monk praying or a saint walking around with a halo over his head? Or do you imagine that family who live in your street who never smoke, drink or swear on how annoying it is when their lawn is always perfect and their children look like tiny angels who floated down from the golden streets on high? Well, it actually doesn't mean any of that. We looked it up. The word gospel just means good news. It's not a religious concept reserved for holy people. It's just fantastic news for absolutely everyone. No exceptions. Good news for broken people and those who have been abused by life that no one is beyond repair. 
Good news for the outcasts and the ones who don't fit in, that there are no outsiders to the love of God. Good news for the ones who are burned out on church and hurt by religion, that Jesus is a person in love with you, not an institution that makes mistakes. Good news for the ones who find prayer boring, the Bible difficult, and just aren't very spiritual, because grace is much bigger than that. Good news for those who have everything they want but still feel empty, because satisfaction and joy doesn't come from cash or a nice house or a big fancy car. It comes from knowing why you were made and the one who made you. So now for the awkward question. If we have such unbelievably good news for absolutely everyone, how come people aren't lining up to hear it? How come people roll their eyes and keep walking when they hear street preachers yelling it at the top of their lungs? How come the local gospel mission isn't bursting at the seams like the Apple store at Christmas time? I think we're maybe telling it wrong. You see, Christians aren't perfect. I'm sure you figured that out by now. As a wise man once told us, if a Christian gets disconnected from Christ, you're just left with Ian. And this guy, Ian, can be a real nasty chap. He's proud, mean, and more interested in the rules than people. Ian makes it sound like the gospel is only good news for people who are just like him and don't challenge any of his assumptions. Ian used the gospel to put himself on a pedestal so he can point out other people's flaws from up there and feel better about himself. At his worst, Ian tried to twist the promises of the gospel to prey on the vulnerable and to take their hard-earned money. And Ian even had the audacity to turn the gospel into campaign slogans and political propaganda to gain power for himself. We need to wrestle the gospel back off Ian and make it sound like good news again. Because if it doesn't sound like good news, it isn't the gospel and it isn't Jesus. You see, if religion doesn't lead you to Jesus, then it's a train you don't ever want to get on. It's just not enough on its own. We need to reclaim some of the amazing things that Ian has hijacked and make them gospel again. Things like the word evangelical. Now, don't be scared. This word is not political ammunition. It's not a pre-warning of an impending seals pitch. It just means carrier of good news. Isn't that beautiful? We don't have to peddle a religious product or bang the drum of any political party. We just carry good news without agenda. You see, here's the human problem. We are all aching for real, meaningful, joyful life. But let's be honest, none of us have found it on our own. Life is not some philosophical idea that's always out of reach. It's a person, and he is reaching out to us. You may have heard the saying that the world will never understand the good news until they understand the bad news. But in a world so filled with bad news, fake news, tragic news, I just don't know if that's true anymore. I don't know if they can hear it. It's not that we don't believe in the problem of sin and the brokenness of humanity, but friends, we have a way better story to tell. We have a cross, we have a resurrection, we have a coming king, we have a rescuer and a savior who can put all things right. We are telling the story that Jesus is and always will be the real good news. That idea might be too simple for some or too naive for others, but that's the amazing truth. That's the gospel for absolutely everyone, mm -hmm. including Ian. Yay! And that's good news worth sharing. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. And here's what I love about this. 
God is intent on making everything about Jesus because it's through him that all things came into existence and it's in him that they're sustained. We read in Colossians 1, 16 to 17, everything got started in him, Jesus, and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's all about Jesus. And I love just that word picture that if you have a Christian without Christ, you're just left with Ian. And none of us want to be Ian. Sorry if that's your name. (laughs) But, But what's more is that God wants to help rescue us from our unbelief and sanctify us to become more like Jesus. Now, the word sanctify or sanctification might seem like this big scary word, but really simply, it's just a word for becoming more and more like Jesus over time through faith in Jesus. Because like we touched on last week, you become like what you believe in. People were were asking Jesus, "What, what do we do to do the works of God? And he says, believe in the one that he sent. Believe in me. Believe in Jesus. Because he knew that what we believe in shapes who we are and how we prioritize everything in our lives. So becoming like Jesus means believing in him more and more in every part of our life. So sanctification is moving from the state of unbelief in Jesus to belief in him in the everyday stuff of life. And the most encouraging part is Don't worry that you're not there yet. Neither am I. It's a lifelong journey. And we continue to walk with Jesus and become like him until he comes again. For me, some days are better than others. Some days I'm on cloud nine. I'm on the mountaintop experience. And I I always think of this um, all sons and daughters song where it's his breath in my lungs, and I'll just like be singing that at the top of my lungs in the car. But then as we know, these mountaintop experiences, we can't always stay there. And it's actually usually when I'm, I'm on these highs that I actually start thinking, hey, this is actually about me. And I start thinking that I'm the one that's changing lives. And I need to be reminded that no, It's God that's changing lives. It's not about me. And sure, he works through us to do it, but he isn't dependent upon how well we do it. In fact, in the book of Numbers, chapter 22, God actually spoke through a donkey once. So the saying goes, if he can speak through a donkey, then he can speak through me. I'll keep it PG. I won't go to the King James Version. But we need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of this constantly. It's not about me or what I can do, but it's about Jesus living in and through me. And there's a story in Mark's gospel. I love this. It's of a father seeking healing for his boy who's filled with with evil spirits. And after the disciples fail to heal his son, the man isn't sure whether Jesus will manage to. So he brings him to Jesus and he says, if you can, and Jesus kind of stops him in his tracks and if you can, what, what's this if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes, which suddenly puts this man on the spot. And he shouts out in this mixture of despair and trust. 
which I can relate to many times over. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I think that's just such a great prayer for when we're caught in the middle between faith and doubt. Just to say, God, I do believe, but help my unbelief. When we find ourselves in these similar points, are we willing to pray with whatever faith we may have and can muster up to take that first step of faith toward him? Are we willing to say, I need to trust in God's work, not mine. I need to believe in his words that have been spoken over my life, not mine. And we need to remember this in the everyday stuff of life. Seriously, when we're getting ready for work and just starting the day, or when we're trying to figure out how we're going to pay the bills, and even when we're sitting at the traffic light on Highway 56 and it seems like everyone else has taken all the time in the world and I've got to be someplace quicker than they do, we need to remind ourselves of the good news of Jesus, the gospel, because we so easily and often forget But thankfully, we don't do this alone. And this is what I love about Saturdays is because we come together as a community of people who are struggling unbelievers. We're we're focusing on Jesus and we're, we're doing our best to lean in, but we need one another. We believe in Jesus, but not all the time for everything. We're journeying together, moving from unbelief to more belief each day. And sometimes, maybe a little less the next day. But then we come together and we support each other and spur each other on. But this is why as a church, I want us to learn how to become fluent in the gospel. Because we all face the daily struggles and battles. And sometimes it's from enemies that we can't see. We hear lies and accusations. We struggle with temptations. And we're often deceived. A big one for me is sometimes we hear words that were spoken over us when we were young, when we were just kids. But they still echo in our hearts in ways that don't breathe life to our souls. We look at our present situations and wish they were better. And many of us who are facing uncertain futures, without God, it can lead to lives of anxiety, fear, despair. We need each other. We can all come up with plenty of reasons not to believe, not to hope, not to trust in God's work for us. But we need the gospel, and we need to become gospel-fluent people. We need to know how to believe and speak the truths of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, into the everyday stuff of life, so that we know how to address the struggles of life and the everyday activities that we engage in with what's true of Jesus, what what's true of what he accomplished on the cross, his life, death, resurrection. As a result, what's true of us as we put our faith in him. The gospel has the power to affect everything in our lives. It's not just about the Saturday evening gathering. So I want to share three principles that will help us move toward fluency, that help us engage our culture. This past week, I walked into my office, which is also known as Starbucks, over by the movie theater, and uh, I'm starting to to make quite a few friends, and this one guy that I met there uh, a couple years ago now, Martin, he uh, grew up as a missionary kid, and he actually still is a missionary and travels around the world, 
And I told him about this gospel fluency series that we were doing, and, and he loved it. He's like, tell me more about this. Because he said, so often we always think that missionary is going overseas. And he said, I love the fact that you're taking it and grounding it to help us think like missionaries in our own communities. Now, he grew up in a jungle. Um, he has some pretty crazy stories of his own. But he gave me these three principles to help us seek to engage culture, and then gave me an amazing way to illustrate it. The first principle, though, is don't ignore the culture. The second one is don't attack the culture. But the third one is apply the truth of God's word to the culture. And this is the story that he shared with me about another Canadian Christian missionary by the name of Don Richardson. This guy, Don, was a missionary, and he and his family lived among the Sawi tribe, which is in western New Guinea, Indonesia. And the Sawi people were known to be cannibalistic headhunters. So as Don set out to learn the native Sawi language, he began teaching them about the gospel. And as he learned the language and lived with the people, he, he became aware just how different his Christian worldview was with their worldview. In fact, after sharing with them some of the gospel stories, in their eyes, Judas was the true victor and Jesus was the fool. And he tried to get his head around how Judas could be elevated to, to this victor. How could this be? And then he discovered that in the Sawi tribe, if someone was able to befriend their enemy, develop a relationship over years, and take time to kind of infiltrate their tribe, and then turn around and stab them in the back, and in their case, eat them, they were the master warrior. They were the true victor. So Judas was that person who, who walked with Jesus, was in his tribe, and turn around and stabbed him in the back. Judas, to them, was the true warrior. So Don wrestled with, what, what do you do with that? Well, eventually, he discovered what he later would refer to as a redemptive analogy. So rather than ignoring the culture and just pointing merely to these biblical truths and trying to prove his point, he discovered that there is a way to apply the truth of God's word to the culture. And what he discovered was the Sawi concept of the peace child. So at the time, there were these three tribal villages that were in constant battle, and the Richardsons were considering leaving due to just the violence and the turmoil. So to keep them there, the Sawi people in the embattled villages came together, and they decided to hold a ceremony with their hated enemies. And at this ceremony, they exchanged young children. They exchanged them between the opposing villages. And this, this one man in particular ran toward his enemy's camp and literally handed his son to his hated enemy. And it was at that moment that Don discovered that in their culture, if a man would actually give his own son to his enemies, that man could be trusted. And suddenly the redemptive truth that he realized was the peace child was Jesus. The peace child was the only way to ensure peace between the tribes. So he was able to explain Jesus as our peace child, that God's giving his only son 
to reconcile us to each other, to build the bond. So suddenly, people began understanding the gospel, but not only that, they became angry with Judas, that Judas would actually betray the trust and kill the peace child. You never kill the peace child. Now, this is such an extreme story, but there's actually a book written by Don Richardson called The Peace Child that explains it more. But it shows us the importance that we can't just ignore culture. Culture matters. We all have grown up in culture. We live in culture. There's different cultures. So we have to understand it. And it also shows us why we can't just attack the culture. Tell them they're, they're crazy and be forceful and try and prove our own worldview. Trying to convince them otherwise would have been fruitless and at worst actually fatal. If you attack their culture, you, you wouldn't win them. And if you, you didn't die, it would have at least become a stumbling block and they would have just hid from you. But this is what's meant when we speak about applying the truth of God's word to the culture. And I think that's our task as believers, is that we're tasked with looking for these redemptive analogies in our culture. I love how Paul describes it in Corinthians. Again, this is from the message translation. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. And that's what we're invited to. We're invited to be in on the message of Jesus. So part of becoming gospel fluent means keeping the pulse on what's going on in culture, in our community, but it's also knowing the gospel through reading God's word so that we can discern how best to apply the truth of the gospel to the culture. Because culture and gospel aren't mutually exclusive. It's not this either or. I, I believe it's a both and. So our job is to discern how the gospel speaks to whatever culture we find ourselves in. So how will, we both, how will we do this, both individually and communally as a church? Well, I believe sometimes the first thing we need to get over is it's hard to change. Sometimes we struggle with moving forward into these unknown territories because it, it feels safer to kind of sit back and do things the way we've always done it. But if we're serious about becoming gospel fluent, then it requires work. It requires us being willing to change, and it's going to require us to try new things as the Holy Spirit leads. David Fitch, he's an Alliance pastor and prof down in the States. He recently wrote a Facebook post, a post as I was getting ready to uh, prepare this message. And he kind of tapped into what he sees going on in the, the North American culture and churches. And he says that we're carrying on the traditions of our church's founding 
by doing things the way they've always been done. Meanwhile, the culture around us has changed and the language of culture has changed. So now we need to ask, what are we doing here? What is church and why is it so important? And if the, and if the what and the why can be reestablished, we need to ask how. How do we do this thing called church in a way that makes sense to our times? This is gospel fluency. And I think the band, Ren Collective, who put that video together, did an excellent job kind of getting that across. If we have such good news, then why aren't people flocking to it like the Apple store at Christmas? How do we do this thing called church in a way that makes sense in our times? I believe that the hope for all of us is the gospel of Jesus. And it's the church coming together to proclaim the gospel into one another's lives and into our communities. But what's more is that Jesus calls us to make disciples. And a disciple of Jesus should know, believe, and be able to speak the gospel and should be capable of leading others to know, believe, and speak the gospel. So my hope for this series is that we're going to take the knowledge and the gospel truths that we learn throughout Alpha, that we, we might have in our back pocket from growing up, and apply it to our lives. Let it sink from our head to our heart. Apply it to our lives and look for ways of how we can apply it to our culture. And my prayer is that we become fluent in the gospel so that together we can lead others to find hope and healing in Jesus in every part of their lives. And my ultimate desire is that each of us move from these areas of unbelief to more belief in Jesus. But there is a catch. The gospel won't fluently come out of you unless it's changed you first. So the question is, has the gospel changed you? Have you truly encountered Jesus and placed your trust in him? And if not, are you willing to take that step? Because every one of us is an unbeliever in some aspects of our lives, but the good news is that as we lean into Jesus in all aspects of our lives, he's going to help us move toward more belief. Let me close in prayer, and then I'll invite Alex up for communion. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing in this community, and I pray that you open our eyes to aspects of our culture that not only need you, but that we can apply your truth to and help reach people who are far from you, who don't know you to better understand who you are and the good news that you offer to each and every one of us. So God, I pray that you continue to help us move closer to you tonight, the days ahead, and throughout this series. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.